That's right. Give it up for Jesus this morning. Man, there's so much truth in that. There's so much truth that you've already heard this morning in the music that we have sang together about God just pursuing us and uh, just going to the ends of the earth to find us. And man, we are just here to, to proclaim that this morning and to carry that and let that set up our week. And so we're just excited about that. We're going to be finishing up the chase today. And if you don't believe what the content of that video is, I'm going to share a story with you today. Uh, That's really all I'm going to do. I'm going to share two stories with you and give you something to take as we close this series uh, home with you today. But the story really starts before the story starts, if that makes sense. John chapter 4, there's this beautiful story, and for those that don't know, it's the story of really how we got our name as Wellhouse. It's where we kind of took uh, from Scripture this name that we felt like was so meaningful to our community. But the story starts decades. It starts centuries before we read what we read in John chapter 4. In 722 B.C., There's an Assyrian king by the name of Sargon that has conquered the area that is known as Samaria. So I'm going to kick it old school this morning. Check this out. There is this area right in the middle, if we can throw that map up there. I said old school. I don't know if you guys remember. Anybody grow up in church where there were pew Bibles? Come on now, pew Bible people. You ain't got to be ashamed. Throw your hand up. Say, I'm a pew Bible person. So in the cover of those... uh, which we used to use for like matchbox cars. It made the perfect little ramp. But uh, inside of those were these maps. And these maps, I didn't know what they were there for, but these maps tell a story. And so I want to kind of illustrate this morning using this map. So in the middle is this area, you see it in purple, called Samaria. And so the top is Galilee, where a lot of business, a lot of the Bible that you read about is, is, takes place in Galilee. And then a lot of the Bible, the New Testament that you read about, ha- happens in Judea. But there's this place right in the middle called Samaria. And so the backstory is Sargon had kind of conquered this area. And so as a result of that, he exiled a whole lot of Jews out of this area, and he brought in what would be considered foreigners or people that, you know, weren't of a Jewish descent into the area. Now, in time, here's what happens. You catch the eye of a woman or you catch the eye of a gentleman, and you're like, you know what? Jew or not, she's looking good. Jew or not, he's got a lot of money. Jew or not, I'm interested. And so they begin to date, they begin to intermingle, they begin to intermarry. And so the result of those relationships as they began to mesh together were known as Samaritans. And so they all kind of congregated in this area known as Samaria. Now, what you need to understand about this, and again, this is the story before the story that makes the story the story, that pure-blooded Jews... Those of a pure descent could not stand these people. They had no time for these people. They had no space for these people. They didn't want these people's business. They didn't want their relationship. They didn't want their money. They wanted nothing to do with anyone who was from this region, people known as Samaritan. They would even go uh, to great lengths to avoid going through the place. If you were traveling north to south or south to north, which happened a lot, a lot of people from the Judea area needed to go to to Galilee and vice versa, they would, would go around. If you've noticed, they go up, take a hard right, up, 
and then cross back over. And what this map maybe, not, maybe doesn't show you, they'd have to cross the Jordan River twice, which was no easy task. But they were willing to go out of their way carrying whatever stuff they needed to carry, their family, their merchandise, whatever they were moving. They were willing to cross water, not once, but twice in order to keep from going through the place because they could not stand to be in the place or the presence of these people. To say they hated these people would be an understatement. They thought of these people as dogs. They thought of these people as lower than dirt. They are, there's, there's messy and then there's Samaritan. And that's why we see it in the context that we see it throughout the New Testament, the good Samaritan. These people had no place or value or worth in the eyes of Jewish people, but not Jesus. When Jesus traveled, here's what you got. Jesus says, you know what? I'm not crossing the water. I'm going to bust straight up through the middle of the place. And so Jesus is on a journey when we pick up in John chapter 4. That's the mood, that's the cultural temperature of what is the background or the back setting for this story in John chapter 4. So Jesus, along with his disciples and a few other followers, they're traveling. And they need to go from one place to the other. They need to go from Judea to Galilee. And they said, you know what, we're not going around. I'm sure everybody else is like Jesus, but... I'm telling you, you're trying to get a ministry off the ground, or better yet, they didn't even know he was trying to get a ministry off the ground. They're like, hey, you're trying to, you know, make case for king. You're trying to establish that you are the Messiah. The last thing you need to do is be seen in Samaria. So I tell you what, we'll carry the stuff, we'll make the, no, no, no. Jesus says we're going straight through the middle of the place. And so it's in this place that he finds himself engaged in a conversation. In fact, he doesn't even find himself in a conversation. It's not like they bumped into each other at the market. He seeks out a conversation to be had around a well. And it's not just any conversation. It's a conversation that first and foremost took place with a woman. Again, culturally speaking, for a man to approach a woman beyond needing something immediate, I need water, I need to purchase that, I need this, would have been unheard of. But it's a Samaritan woman that he seeks out, that he chases down in order to have a conversation. And if that's not enough, it goes even farther. It's a woman who is a Samaritan, he's a Jew, she also has a past. And it's not just any past. It's not skeletons in the closet. It's a very public past. She has five husbands, we're told. Now, guys, that's a lot in our culture, much less their culture. And I don't know why she had five husbands. We don't know. I don't know if all of them had died I don't know if, if all of them were deceased, had passed away, but you know what, what culture would have said in that moment? That woman's cursed. You better swipe left. You better keep on moving. I don't know if you know or not, but Sally Samaritan, she's been married five times, and all five of those are, are, are dead. That ain't no accident. I don't know all the circumstances around it, but you'd better keep moving. I don't know. 
I don't know if all five of them had left her for other women along the way, had just gotten disinterested or, you know what, found someone that they thought suited their needs better and so they moved on. I don't know if all five of them were in that category. I don't know, maybe she couldn't bear children which again in that culture was such a significant moment, uh, someone who could bear children and carry on the name of the family and all of that, that was such a big deal. And so maybe she was barren, and so husband one found that out, and then husband two thought, well, maybe it was just him. It's always a him problem. And so he goes, no, mm -mm." and so I don't know if over five. I don't know what the circumstances was. I don't know if this was the result of her decisions or the decisions of someone else, but here's what I do know. For whatever reason, she had been left high and dry and feeling empty. And we find her in John chapter 4 not just feeling empty. We have her feeling completely isolated and alone. And she was thirsty because life had left her dry and thirsty. Now, what we know as this story unfolds, we see that she is thirsty for unconditional love. She is thirsty for dignity, to be looked at, to be looked upon by those in her town and in her village with even a shred of dignity. She was thirsty for community. She was thirsty for friendship. And you go, hold up, Jason, I've read this story, and and I don't remember those things coming up. I don't remember her ever looking at Jesus and going, hey, what I really need is a friend. It's in there. It's in the details. And we know this because John gives us, who's a disciple of Jesus, who's witnessing this from a distance, he decides to write about this moment because it's a completely unbelievable moment. And he gives us details within details. And there's two details that we skip right over very quickly that tells me that she is longing for something. Number one, what time she was there. And number two, that she was there alone. She was there at high noon. And she was there by herself. And here's what you need to understand about this. Those are minor details that are really major details. See, in that culture, again, normally women who would go and carry the water for the day, water to cook with or water to clean with or whatever household water they would need, they would go either early in the morning or they would go late in the afternoon. And here's why. If you don't know anything about that region, it's scorching hot. And so they would get out and get this done before the sun would ever rise so that they wouldn't have to sweat to death getting it back and they would have to make sure that they could have some semblance of a cool breeze coming through. Or they would go late in the evening. They would use what they had from the day before. They would go late in the evening and gather the water for the next day again so that they could avoid the scorching heat. But they would also run in packs. Some say it's for protection, but I don't think that's what it was. We all long for what? To be social, community. It was a moment where they would gather neighbors and friends, other ladies and other moms, and they would let their kids play, and they would go to the well together in order to socialize and have a sense of community. And so they would go, hey, how was your day yesterday? I haven't seen you. It's so good to see you again. How's the north side of town? How's the business going? How's your husband? How's the... And and they would have this moment of socialization, but here she is alone in the heat of the day because she wanted to get in and get out without being seen because she knew if she was saw... And she knew the looks that she would get. And those looks would just continue to suppress how she already feels about herself. She knew the comments that would be mumbled under under people's breaths. How dare her? I'm not even sure I want to drink the water anymore. 
You don't know where her lips have been. I know five places they've been, but I don't, you know. And she knew that this would be the place. And so, you know what? I'll just go in the heat of the day at noon. And it says she was found alone. So here she is, alone with her water jars, trying to draw these things as quickly as she could so she could get out unnoticed. And it's in that moment and in that context that Jesus takes notice of her. And so here's the scene. Her head's down, and she glances up, and she notices in the distance there is a group of men that have gathered in sight. And so this makes her even more anxious, and so she's pulling it even faster. But then she notices out of the corner of her eye that there is one man who has singled himself from that pack and is beginning to seemingly start moving toward her. And so this is building up even more anxiety. This is building up even more panic. This is building up even more of a, 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 okay, I've got to get this done quickly. I've got to get this done quickly. First of all, and then she notices, oh, my goodness, those are Jewish men. And so she begins to think, why are Jewish men even in this place in the first place? This is not going to be a great encounter. I don't even have good encounters with other Samaritans, much less Jewish men. And so again, she's beginning to scurry. She's trying to pack her stuff. She's trying to get out. And before you know it, she can kind of feel the presence of someone. And she's trying to mind her own business. And again, get her stuff tidied up and back on the cart so that she can move on. And she feels the presence of someone sitting now on the side of the well beside of her. And she turns around. And she knows better, but she does it anyway. She looks. She makes eye contact. And culturally, again, would have been a complete no-no. But what she doesn't know, she has no clue that her fate is about to change. She has no clue that in this moment, she's about to have a moment that would change her life and it would change the way people saw her and thought about her and what they believed about her and even how they valued her forever. And Jesus completely changes her life. And he does it by asking a simple question. He starts the conversation and he says, verse 7, he says, Will you give me a drink? Will you give me a drink? It's such a simple question. But see, what Jesus is doing using this casual entry, this gateway, into conversation to begin to instill something in her. It's a gateway to something more. This request is about so much more than water. What this question is, is not a really a question at all. It's an invitation. It's an invitation to interact. It's not a yes or no question. It's an interactive question. Because if she says no, then she's got to scurry away. If she says yes, then she's got to draw the water and give to, right? It's an invitation. It's a moment where Jesus is, has gone out of his way, not just geographically, but now has separated himself from the pack of his disciples to go out of his way in the middle of the day, in the sun, in the daylight, and in doing so, he has blown past social norms and cultural norms to chase down a woman. Now get this to not ask for a drink of water. 
He's chased her down in order to engage with her relationally in hopes of empowering her and activating her spiritually. See, it wasn't just physical need. It's not just the five husbands thing that's a physical thing. Jesus sees past this and he walks towards someone he knows is not just physically dry or emotionally dry. He walks past and he sits by her at the well because he knows that she is spiritually dry. And he says, you know what? I'm going to use a simple phrase in order to begin a conversation that will lead to a relationship that will lead to me activating and empowering her spiritually. And so Jesus says, will you give me a drink of water? She's stunned. No doubt, more anxious than ever at this point. I'm sure her heart is pounding out of her chest, and she can't escape and get out of this moment quick enough. In fact, she's probably thinking, you know what, tomorrow I'm just going to come with all the ladies because it's way easier to deal with that because I know what to expect. This is so far left field. This is so unexpected that I am, in, I am an emotional anxious wreck. And she says, now I'm sure with her head back down, goes, I'm not sure you picked up on this, but I'm a Samaritan and you're a Jew. We shouldn't be doing this. And I love what Jesus says. Jesus says, so? So? He says, you know, if, if you knew who it was that was asking you for the drink, you'd be asking the questions. And she has no clue what that means. She doesn't understand, again, the weight and the gravity of this moment. <laughs> he, she, he's like, if you, if you knew who I was, then you'd be asking real-life questions. So it's this moment where she, okay, whatever you're talking about. So not only are you a man, a Jewish man, you're kind of a crazy man. So whatever. Where's your, where's your jar? You don't even have anything to drink out of. I mean, you, you're asking me for a drink. I mean, you're not using my, I mean, that again, totally taboo for you. To, I mean, where, where's, where's your, your jar? Where's your cup? And Jesus uses this gateway moment where I'm sure he can feel the anxiety of the moment, but he also knows the weight that hinges on this moment. And he moves the conversation from surface, actual water, he moves it to a place where he begins to address and chisel away at the deeper need. He begins to speak to her heart because he understands that that's where the real thirst is. He understands that that's where this, this quenching water that I'm about to tell her about, that's where... It's really needed. He moves it from, you know, that deep hole down inside where you've been trying to fill it. Yeah, yeah, that thirst, that's where I want to go next. And so he says, hey, are you, are you tired of being left wanted? Thirsty? And he says, I've got, I've got something. I, I, can I tell you about living water that doesn't run out? And her immediate thought was, ooh, that would be nice. If you could give me water that doesn't run out, that means, you know what, I can just stay in my house and never have to deal with anybody again. I don't have to come back to this place in the heat of the day. I don't have to worry about what people think of me in the moment when they see me at this place. If you could give me water that doesn't run out, that would be perfect. And so, again, Jesus is 
having this, and she still hasn't connected the dots. And then Jesus goes all in. He pushes the chips to the middle of the table in this conversation. He presses into her personal life where the pain is found. And by the way, this is what Jesus does. When we begin to open up dialogue with Jesus, if you don't want to be pressed into and begin to be shown things about yourself, then don't start the conversation with Jesus. Leave the water and walk away. But Jesus does what Jesus does. He says, I want to press into you, into this conversation. I want to get to the root of the pain because I understand that that's where this sense of value and isolation comes from. See, Jesus never wants to leave us where he finds us. His intentions was not to leave her as he found her. He knew. He knew what the situation was. He knew the sin. He knew the hurt. He knew the bad situations. He knew the habits. He knew this lady was in pain. He knows all of that, and he still presses in, and he presses in when he says this. Tell you what, go call your husband and come back. And suddenly, what was anxiety just a moment ago now has turned to shame. And it's not because Jesus is trying to do that. That's just because it's the moment where she realizes he knows. So again, trying to scurry out of there, she says, she says well, you know... I, You know, I got some questions about church. I love that she changes the subject. You know, there's people that worship in the mountains, and they do it like this. You know, they're country folk, and they, they kind of have a real weird, you know, lots of banjo and stuff, and, you know, it's like it's a real weird kind of thing. But then I go to the city, and I see people worshiping like this, and, and I think this is the moment Jesus kind of goes, hmm. I haven't forgot about the question, by the way. So which is it? I mean, you, you kind of seem like an educated prophet, she calls him, and so she says, you know, so which is it? Is it the mountain worship that pleases God, or is it the city worship that pleases God? And so she completely ignores the question and changes the subject. And Jesus goes, well, it really doesn't matter. He says, you know, there's a moment coming where really what will matter is the spirit and truth. There's going to come a time when mountain worship and city worship, he kind of entertains the question, and then he kind of goes right back to the question. So, okay, where, where are we at on that, that husband? She says, well, I don't have a husband. He goes, oh, you're right, you have five. Oh, and by the way, the one you're with now is not even your husband. And so at this point, she has completely packed up her stuff. And I love her end statement to him. She says, well... There's a Messiah coming, this guy that's known as Christ. He'll clean all this up. He'll tell me what, you know, and, and he'll answer all the questions. He, he, he will be qualified to be able to tell me what I need to know. And so she gathers her stuff, and she begins to walk off. Here's your water, by the way. You can keep the jug. And as she seeks to disappear into the shadows, he says, the one that is speaking to you, I am he. And she stops. 
she connects the dots and she turns around. Hold up. You mean to tell me that not only did a Jewish man come through Samaria, but he chose to have a conversation with me in the middle of the day and it's the Messiah who we've been waiting on for generations. See, I believe this is the moment that she realizes. It's so key. I believe this is the moment where she realizes for the first time he doesn't just know about me. He knows me. He's not just heard about me. He knows me. And in that being known, and what has caused so much pain and emptiness with so many relationships and people being known, suddenly, in a, in a completely opposite way that she had ever experienced, begins to fill her up instead of draining her down. And she understands that in this moment, being known by Jesus, the one she is looking for, the Messiah that she says will be called Christ, there's something different. And she begins to, in that moment, understand and experience the living water that he was talking about just a few statements ago. And this was the moment that I believe she realized who it was that had chased her down. And he had chased her attention, and he had chased her heart. And so here's the point of the morning. Here's the point of the series. That being chased is not always a bad thing. Because in this case, being chased changed her. And more importantly, it changed what she chased. Being chased by Jesus changed her. In fact, if we keep reading the story, it changed her into a chaser. Look at how she responds to this moment. It doesn't take much water. It was just the beginning, the, the, the tip of the iceberg. It was just enough to begin to wet her soul, this deepest part that had been so dry and so thirsty for so long. But just a little bit of this living water that Jesus gives her changes everything. Verse 28, she says, then leaving her water jar. I love the fact that she forgets what she was even there for. She's not distracted at this moment. She is beginning to see life in a completely different way. I think it's in this moment she goes, you know what? There's going to come a time, and it's not going to be too long from now, that I'm not going to have to come here in the middle of the day anymore. So she leaves her water jar, and the woman went back to the town and said to the people, she says, listen, you've got to come see a man who told me everything I ever did. That's never a statement she would have made that morning. She's been trying to hide everything she's done. And now all of a sudden she goes, he, he's told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? Which again, I don't think it's a question as much as it is a proclamation. This guy has to be the one. 
And then if you continue to read that, it says they came out of the town and made their way. The people that she has influence and relationship, the people, again, that, that wouldn't have given her any time of day are suddenly going, this woman's different. I love verse 39 as the story wraps up. It says that, that many of the Samaritans from that town believed in her. Why? Because of the woman's testimony when she said, he told me everything I did, and I want to continue the sentence. He told me everything I've ever did, and he still loved me. And he still sat down, and he still engaged me in a conversation. And not once did he not look me in the eyes, and not once did he not treat me as a Jewish man should treat me. And not once did he treat me like a Samaritan man has treated me. He told me everything I ever did and he still accepted me. See, being chased by Jesus, engaged with Jesus, changed what she chased. She had spent so much time up until that day, until that point, chasing everything that she thought would fill her up. And she allowed things to chase her that she thought would fill her deepest need. But here she is in the middle of the day, heat of the day, feeling empty, feeling dry because of the things she had chased and the things that she had chased and chased her had completely left her. Now she's chasing after the heart of Jesus. And I love that the response to this is that now she's going to chase down everybody she knows to tell him about Jesus. I love this story. And the reason I love this story is because we are all thirsty for something. Not a single one of us that sits in here isn't thirsty for something. It doesn't matter where we live, what our job is, our bank account looks like, black, white. Everybody is thirsty for something. We need something. And Jesus comes along and he says, living water is the only thing that's going to quench the thirst. And so here's what it comes down to. And this is what I see in the story that I hope rocks your world the way it's rocked mine and how it's formed a church called Well House. And it's real simple. What I see is that he is intentional with her. He's intentional he goes out of his way to cut through the middle of a place, and he goes out of his way to sit in a place that he should have never been sitting. He, he, he goes out of his way to break down the norms and the acceptable to chase her, and here's the result is that she was intentional with others. Her experiencing the intentionality of Jesus and changes her intentions. Life was no longer about her. It was no longer about her needs. And so in 2019, right here, right now, here's what I need you to hear as we close down this series. He is being intentional with you. He is being intentional with us. And you may still be changing the subject about, well, you know, how about, how about mountain and city and this or that? And you may still be trying to scurry and pack your stuff as quickly as you can to keep this conversation from going any deeper than it currently is. But I'm telling you, he's being intentional with you. He's gone out of his way. And he's going to continue to go out of his way. 
And it may not happen in this place this morning. It may happen in a conversation tomorrow. Or it may happen in another way or another form, another fashion. But I'm telling you, Jesus is going to find a way to have a conversation with you this week. It may be in an unlikely place. It may be in two weeks. It may be in two months. But I'm telling you, Jesus is intentional. And he's just as intentional in your life, whether you want to believe it, realize it, accept it, acknowledge it, engage in it, as he was this woman. I guess that's what bothers me this week about reading social media and Kanye West. I'm going to tell you guys, I'm a believer. He's my brother. Because Jesus is an intentional Jesus. And I think he's been chasing down that man's heart for a long time so that he can chase down a heart, hearts that need it. I think he's going to go back to his town. He's going to begin to do some things that neither you or I are able to do because Jesus is an intentional God. And so he goes out of his way to chase us and tell us that there's a better way. There's a way that brings freedom and satisfaction to your thirst. But it doesn't stop there. Because, see, there's always that secondary part of this story. And it comes down to who are you being intentional with? You go, oh, I can't do that. Guys, I want you to know all she did was went to the places that she came from, her community, her, she didn't go knocking on doors. She didn't walk up to people, you know, in, in neighborhoods that she was unfamiliar with, with tracks and YouTube videos about Jesus. She wasn't weird. She just went back into the communities that she was already a part of, and they begin to notice she's different, and then she tells them why she's different. And I love that this, this moment is intentional, but it's not optional. That's why we say that we're multiplying ourselves. So what are we live, willing to leave behind in order to leave something bigger behind? What do you want? What will you chase? What will you allow to chase you. What will you do with the one who has chased you to have a conversation with you beside your well? And then what will you leave behind? I heard my dad tell a story years ago, and this is the way I want to end this story. It's an old preacher story. It's not real. But he tells a story of a traveler who is in the desert, and he runs out of water. And he's used up, he's consumed all the water that, that he had with him for the journey, and all of his water bottles are long gone and long dry. And it's a moment where he says that in the, the dust, as he's kind of doing everything he can to put one foot in front of the other, he sees a house. He gets closer, and he sees that not only is there a house, but out back there's a, a pump house. And it's the moment where he begins to say, please let there be, let there be a pump that leads to water. And he makes his way around. And he pulls himself up on the old pump stand and he raises the handle. And with everything he's got, both physically and emotionally, hoping that, please, he pumps. And he pumps. And he pumps. And he pumps. And all he hears is metal on 
as he pumps and he's pleading, God, please bring water. And he looks around and he notices there's a tin can with a note. So he blows it off. And he says, what the heck? What have I got to lose? And this is what the note says. Warning. You're going to be tempted when you see this bottle of water to drink it. He's like, what bottle of water? But you'll be thirsty again, and so will everyone else who comes this way. So please read the instructions all the way through, and you'll have all the water you want. And so will everyone else. Dear traveler, do not panic. There is more than enough of water that can flow from here. Just follow these instructions. Under the pump in the front, there's buried in the sand a bottle of water that's corked. Pick up the bottle. Don't drink it. Pour it into the cylinder and start priming the pump. And so he immediately begins to dig and he finds it's dusty, it's dirty, but man, it still looks good. So he goes, let me continue to read. Pour it into the cylinder and start priming the pump. The water will activate the seals and get the system to work. A rush of water will begin to gush out of the pump. And you can drink all the water you want. Fill up all your bottles, but do not forget to leave bottle full of water for the next person. Guys, I think for some of us, we need to drink from the well, the living water. And it's in that moment that there'll be something that will empower you and activate you. But a moment of honesty, because I look out every Sunday and I know who's here. I know who has sat here for quite some time. Some of you need to start filling up water jars for other people so they can drink. Start chasing down people the way Jesus has chased down you. You can't sit here forever and say, oh, Jesus has wrecked and changed my life in so many good ways and he continues to. But you know what? I'm never going to tell you about him. I'm not going to bury any water in the sand for you. Good luck. While we would never put it in those terms, that's the way we act sometimes. Guys, it's not about just being chased. It's about being turned into and changed into being a chaser. So whatever has chased you and continues to do so, I pray that God releases you from the way he released this woman from. And when he releases you, he'll release you into your communities and into your homes and into your workplaces. Man, there will be a mighty rush, a mighty wave. Father, this morning, as we wrap this series up, I'm reminded of why we did what we did going on five years ago and naming this place what we named it because we want to be the wells where people can experience Jesus. There's no past too dirty. There's no, I don't care if it's 15 husbands, 150 failures, 
four billion reasons why we shouldn't be loved, God, we want to continue to create an atmosphere. And that atmosphere starts with us first and foremost drinking of the living water. So for anybody here this morning that hasn't drank of that living water, who hasn't claimed and proclaimed and declared that Jesus is Lord, may we start there. May there be something that carries them back to the respond banner or carries them up here so that we can begin a conversation the way Jesus began a conversation about what it really means to have this, this, this thirst that is deep to begin to have quenched. God, for those that have had their mouth under the pump too long, never stop to think about who's coming next and what they might need and who's around us. May we be empowered and, and, and activated the way this lady was. Even in spite of our shame and all the reasons that we have not to, can we begin to be activated into our communities in a way that begins to say, listen, I'm telling you, in the dreb and in the darkness and in, in the cloud that exists, I'm telling you, there's something that is better. There's someone who is better. There's someone and it's not telling them everything they need to know about the Bible. No, it's just sharing their story. So God, activate us and empower us as you continue to heal us. Father, thank you for what you've done and what you will continue to do. Stand with me. Father, be with us today as we go into our communities and into our places. Help us to drink and distribute living water.